0: Ready for today's Bible hack. It's about to be awesome. As usual, I got my tea ready. Let's jump straight in. So, what's up guys? As I mentioned, today's Bible hack is about women in the Bible, specifically Wonder Woman in the Bible. And no, that's not a joke. You will see, I will get to actual Princess Diana, Wonder Woman, in the Bible, or at least, you know, mentions of her, but we're going to, we need to build up to that first. So as is typical, we're going to start in the old Testament, not typical, but I've done it for the last couple of times. And we're going to pull this thread, the the greater meta narrative of the Bible. We're going to pull it all the way through as far as women are concerned. So let's jump on here. And this is not for men for women only. This, I think it's important for both men and women to get the full value of what God had intended for women in the Bible. So that's applicable to us today. So let's jump right on in. This is Bible Hacking. I'm Greg. Let's go. <music> promised let's jump straight in um this is going to be really really exciting uh, with wonder woman in the air etc um let's really find out where if anywhere wonder woman princess diana of all is in the bible and spoiler alert she's right there so let's go all right I can imagine some of you are already trying to figure out like what the heck is this dude talking about so let's go to properly frame this story we got to start in the Old Testament, as I mentioned, because I think there's been a major disservice done at the beginning, not by the Bible, but by our interpretation of it. And one of the things we've, we we harp on here at Bible Hacking is understanding the context of the Bible as the Bible intended it, not through our lens of today or by putting some theological premise on it or some other structure or system that was man-made after the fact. We need to understand the Bible as it was written. Oftentimes, that involves language. Today, it's going to, at least in the beginning part, involve language. We touched on the hermeneutical circle where you need context so you can understand meaning so that you can get application. In this case, the context is linguist, is, 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 you know, in terms of language. So let's get into it. It's another case of the English massively obscuring what the text was actually saying. So as I promised, let's jump straight in at the beginning. So we're in Genesis chapter two. And um, I remember today's about women. So let's let's dig into this. Then Yahweh, so man was created. As a matter of fact, if we scroll up a little bit, um, it actually said uh, right there. So God created woman, human in his image, and in the likeness of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So first hint that there's some equality, equality here is male and female, God created them both in his image. They were both representatives. We spoke on this already. Put a link to, you know, one of those other videos up at the top. Just click on it and go there, but come back here, of course. Um, The image terminology is not a look. It is a representative. We are God's imagers. It's, It's a more active, it's a verb. It's not just a, hey, you're a picture of God. Otherwise, we'd all look similar. So male and female were both created to be his imagers. So go back down to where we were. And Yahweh took, God man, took the man and set him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it. You know, get about the work. And Yahweh God commanded the man saying, Eat, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and what you should not do, you shouldn't eat here. Then Yahweh God said, It is not good that the man is alone. And this is where the English jacks this up. I will make for him a helper as his counterpart. Now. Me switch back here, right quick. I have been taught my entire Christian life, and I'm whenever I say this, I'm not saying this to say the people that you know taught me in church, etc. Look, one of them was my, my 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 aunt. She was the Bible teacher at the church where I was at. So you know, I, I'm not swiping at anyone who's taught me. I went to you know very um, evangelical school here in the U.S. in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Roberts University, and enjoyed it, man. But still, I was taught. This term here equals help meet. And help meet conveys something in English or helper conveys something in English that the text did not mean. Important detail about the Hebrew language. This is the Old Testament. This part of it was written in Hebrew. So uh, Hebrew, we didn't have dictionaries, lexicons of this word means this. So in a lot of cases, the only way we could figure out what a word means is to, to see how it was used. So on that note, let's boogie back. So we know Yahweh created um, a woman to be a helper. That word helper here, when we click on it, we get this. It's Ezer, like laser, but without the L, there? And there? if we click on it in the middle right here, we will get a listing of everywhere that term comes up. Let's jump on the first one, Exodus 18, 4. So in Exodus 18, 4, we see that Moses goes and visits his father-in-law. This was long after they left um, Egypt. They already escaped. And as as a matter of fact, Moses' father-in-law tells him, I've heard all that God has done for Moses and Israel and that Yahweh brought Israel out of Egypt. So he knew that. And there was a little beef going on and... um, there was talks of being an alien, et cetera, et cetera. And I want you to catch this. And one whose name was Eliezer, because the God of my father was my help. That's the term again. And he, the God, delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So this term help here is appearing in Exodus and is representative of God. And it seems to be a little bit militaristic. You know, God has delivered someone from the sword of Pharaoh. That's what help means. Let's dig a little bit deeper because, you know, you might as well pile on. So another form of that same word is zer. This even sounds similar, ezer, zer. Um, It's the same word. It's just a different form of it. And let's see where that appears in the Bible. You can see it means the same thing, to help, being helped, to help another, etc. But let's get into this one. Let's pick this one, Joshua 10.4, and I got that open already. So Joshua 10.4 is where the men of Gibeon are sending word for Joshua saying, dude, come and help us. So they send word to Joshua at Gilgal and says, do not abandon your servant. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us. Yeah, that's the same help. And notice the militaristic term again. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country have gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal with he and all the fighting men with him, the best warriors. And Yahweh said to Joshua, don't be afraid. No one will be able to withstand you. We, we got this. Why? Joshua came, the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua saying, be my ally in this war against these bad dudes. We need you to help us. The militaristic feeling of this word is very clear. This was not about, you know, stay home and be Betty Crocker and clean up in the kitchen and barefoot and prep. That's not what Genesis was talking about when God said, it's not good for man to be alone. He needs a helper. He needs an ally. What God was saying is he needs someone that he can call on to say, come over here I'm fighting this battle. I need your help to fight it. And strategically, you may come with the mighty men and fight and help me actually win where, you know, I'm trying to win. But don't take my word for it. Let's dig even a little deeper. So David, um, same term again, um, same Azera term. Um, David is caught up and he's hiding from people out trying to kill him happened a lot. The Philistines and the Manassites um, came to try to battle, and they were trying to kill David. And let's jump forward here. And they they themselves helped David. That's the same term again. Against the troops, for all of them were mighty men of strength and were commanders in the army. Day in and day out, they came to David to what? Help him and there was a great army like the army of God. So here we see David getting help from this remnant of mighty warriors who were strong, and they were what? Commanders in the army. And what were they doing? They were helping David. And this is like every, very often when this term comes up in the Bible, this is the the context of the term. It's not the helper, I'm going to tell you what to do. It's the helper get me out of this disaster. I need strength, wisdom, strategy, tactics. That is the helper that God gave us men in the garden. But let's dig a little bit deeper. There's a term in the, in the Old Testament called judges. And this is from the Lexham Bible Dictionary. Um, where it describes what a judge is. So let's, let's just grab this quickly. The role of the judges primarily functioned as military leaders, but let's also look at uh, Let's go up to the top the judge role in the, in the Israel military leaders raised up by Yahweh to deliver the people of Israel from their enemies. The biblical record of the period of judges comes there. Judges primarily functioned as military leaders, And they were also supposed to function as spiritual leaders who at very least set a positive example. The judges functioned within their own tribes and across tribes. In other words, judges were a powerful, military, spiritual representative of God put there by Yahweh. Because remember, Israel was a theocracy. They didn't have a king yet. God said, I'm going to lead you. Same way I led you out of Egypt and I sent the angel of God to tell you where to go after the Red Sea and and tell you when to stop and when to walk. I'm leading you. So I will put my representatives there. This actually happened um, since Moses' era. That's where the judges came up, like Moses instituted it. And Yahweh would empower these judges. So these are the judges. They were a broad-based political strength as well because remember we said they functioned in their tribes as well as other tribes so let's continue let's pick on one of these judges um as a matter of fact so one of the judges i think i have this in the wrong sequence nope i don't so one of the judges i'll scroll up that's what i did here perfect now at that time deborah Female, a prophetess, the wife of, I'm not going to try to pronounce your name, was judging in Israel. If I go back to the Lexham Bible Dictionary, in case you're second guessing me, um, it shows the judges of Israel categorized as major and minor based on literary prominence. Deborah was a judge. So don't read this as, oh, she was just doing a one-time job of judging. No, 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 no. Deborah was appointed by God and empowered by Yahweh to be a leader for Israel across all tribes. A woman, Deborah. In addition to that, she had the spirit of God on her too. She was a prophetess and she was judging Israel. So she would sit under the tree, etc. and now pot peep game. And she sent and called for Barak son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, Does this sound like authoritative or not? Has not Yahweh God of Israel commanded you, go and march to Mount Tabor? You take 10,000 men from the descendants of Naphtali and Zebulon, and I will draw out Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to to Kishon, and I will give them into your hand. And Barak said to her, so again, peep game, you have this female prophetess, judge, leader in Israel, telling another male leader, this is what you need to do. Go and do it. And some of it is military strategy as well. So you're going to take 10,000 men, you're going to go, and this is how we're going to beat these bad guys right now. And fast, you know, skip back to Logos, uh, which is the Bible app that I use. Um, So Barak says, if you go with me, I will go. But if you do not go with me, I will not go. He was shook. He was scared. She said, surely I'll go with you. However, there will be no glory for you in the path you are taking. Why? Because you should have just gone on my word and the word of Yahweh. But no, you need me to go with you to babysit you because you think I'm stronger. I, you know, I got the juice. No, no problem. I'll go with you there, but you're going to lose all the glory in this battle. For Yahweh will sell Sisera, the king, into the hand of a woman. And Deborah stood up and went with Barak, et etc., etc. Et and then the war starts and they're fighting, et cetera. So we see already Deborah is a bit of a gangster. She's a G and she is in the Bible, a leader of Israel, appointed by God, doing big things. But it gets even sweeter. So we run into this other character a little bit later. Sisera, the same king, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Um, Because there was peace between Jabin and the, the house of Heber. So Jael, this wife, comes out to meet the king and says to him, come on inside, turn aside to me and do not be afraid. So he turned inside to her tent and she covered him with a blanket and he said to her, please give me a drink of water because I'm thirsty, because he was battling and he was losing. So he ran away to hide and he feels he's in a safe place now. So she opened a sk- skin vessel of milk and gave him a drink and covered him and, she said to her, and he said to her, go ahead and guard at the doorway for me. And if anyone comes to ask of you, um, say, is anyone there? Answer no. But Jael, the wife of Herber the Kenite, took in her hand a tent peg and a hammer, and she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple, and it went through to the ground because he was fast asleep because he was exhausted, and he died. So now Barak is out there still fighting and looking for Sisera, but Jael, this woman, goes out to meet him, and she says to him, Come let me show you the dude you're looking for. And he came and he saw that Sisera was lying dead with a peg in his temple. And on that day, God subdued Jabin king of Canaan before the Israelites. So I show you this to say, God was not kidding around. He didn't like kind of give women authority. When it was time for women to have authority, they had authority. Like it's very clear from here. Like they were, they were killing tyrants that needed to be killed and God said to be killed. They were commanding the men. They were commanding armies. They, you know, they were helping. So when you hear about women in the Bible and women in today, maybe go ahead and back down a couple of steps and realize that help might not be what you think it means. Help might be the asset and the resource that's going to give you the strategy to defeat whatever it is you're trying to defeat or to accomplish whatever goal it is God put in your midst and said, hey, this is what you're going to accomplish? Maybe practical application time. Maybe some of us, this is going to husbands primarily, can't get ahead and can't accomplish what we need to accomplish because we are are devaluing the help that God has put right there in our home. Because you figured she just had to be a help meet And she just had to, you know, support you. Maybe she needs to... Maybe she's got the tent peg. And she's got the strategy to kill this, this king that's coming after you. Maybe she's got the strategy to tell you, this is what you need to do. Like Deborah told Barack. Anyway, back to the text. Interesting thing about um, Deborah. Uh, sorry, about... Um, Jael, and this is why I jumped on Jael. Jael, um, where is it? There it is. It's coming up right here right now. There it is. Deborah, the prophetess, the judge, the leader, after the war is done and wins, she sings a song. This is her song. And she says in her song, most blessed of women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. She's most blessed of women among tent dwellers. Because the Kenites were, you know, they moved around a lot. Um, so this term, most blessed of women. Sorry, I didn't realize it was off the Bible. This term right here, most blessed of women, is Jael, appears two times in the, the Hebrew Bible. Two times. One time is right here. Like there are two women classified as most blessed by the Bible, by Yahweh. One is Jael put a tent peg through old boy's head. The next one brings us to the new Testament. It's Mary, mother of Jesus. And Mary went to visit Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom, and the Holy spirit was on Elizabeth and the baby leaped in her womb, etc. And she cried out loud and said, blessed are you among women, Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. The only two times women are referred to as you are most blessed among women. Right there. Mary and Giles. So, what are we seeing? God is okay with women having this authority and doing big things. So, like, understand that. But now we get to Wonder Woman. The most problematic, and let me shift off here again so I can get your attention. One of the most problematic terms or, or passages as it refers to women pertaining women in the Bible is what I'm about to show you. And for years, scholars have struggled with this. And you can grab a bunch of different commentaries and get different takes on this. You can hear your, and I'm not saying they're heretics. I'm just saying, sometimes when you look at the context, I want you to consider this viewpoint that comes out of context as well. This is probably one of these things that's, well, first of all, it's definitely not salvific. But I think it might have an impact on your ministry and your ability to go out and make disciples for Yahweh. If you are sidelining some of the the, the gifts and the talents and the, the tools that are there to help you because you think less of them than God intended for you to think of them. Like it's clear in the Old Testament, God didn't intend for them to be, you know, some little helper. The term help is often applied to, and I showed you one of them, it's often applied to Yahweh like God describes himself as a helper. You think God is your little helpmeet? No, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, you are subservient to him. So the help term is not a, 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 a ranking of one above the other. So the man is above and then woman is the helper below it. But let's jump into this text. And now we're going to dig into some research that was super interesting for me. So Let's read 1 Timothy 2 from 9 through 15. Instructions for women. Likewise also, women should adorn themselves in appropriate clothing with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold jewelry or pearls or expensive clothing, but with good deeds which are fitting for women who profess godliness. A woman must learn in quietness with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, because she was deceived, came into transgression. And if you know the, 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 the story from Genesis 3, the fall, indeed, the, 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 the serpent, the Nakash, the, 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 the divine being that rebelled. Um, described as a snake, but it wasn't a talking snake. Nonetheless, that divine being that rebelled spoke to Eve. And Adam was standing right there. He deceived Eve. And then when Eve took the fruit, she gave it to Adam. So what Paul is saying there is accurate. But then he goes into, but she will be saved. And she's not talking about Eve. He went back to, uh, I don't permit the woman to have authority over the man, but she will be saved through the bearing of children. If... She continues in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, a cursory reading of that text is weird to me for two reasons. One, it seems in complete conflict with everything that we just saw from the Old Testament about women. They're helpers. They can have authority. They can run armies. They can judge all of Israel. So what is Paul talking about when he says they cannot exercise authority over a man? And they got to be quiet. Like, was Deborah quiet? Was Gile, quiet, like these women, and there's many other examples. As a matter of fact, I'll leave this as homework for you if you want and talk about it in the comments. There's plenty of examples from Paul of women who are in leadership. Timothy's grandmother, I think it was, and like there's many others that Paul himself talks about. So what is unique about this situation? And so one part is it's in conflict with everything else we have learned about women so far, but the I do not permit a woman to teach her to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam wasn't deceived, but through woman came into transgression. But she will be saved through the bearing of children if she continues in faith and love and holiness with self-control. I just find that a disconnection. Like... Where does the bearing of children come in to be saved? I thought we were saved through grace. Like, what is Paul talking about? Is there some extra thing in the Bible that women are not saved through grace and faith in God, but they're saved through childbearing? Like, what's going on here? To get to what's going on, remember again, we spoke about the hermeneutical, this is a big word, it means interpreting the Bible, hermeneutical circle. Context to determine meaning, to determine application. So let's get the context of First um, Timothy. And this is critical. We, this is a Bible hack. Context of First Timothy, First Timothy, first letter of Timothy, of Paul to Timothy. The beginning of it, Timothy is told, and you've heard me say this before, if it's in the Bible and it seems odd, it's probably very, very important. So Instructions for Timothy in Ephesus, just as I urge you when I travel to Macedonia, Timothy, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach other doctrine and not to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which cause useless speculations rather than God's plan that is by faith. Even that seems in conflict with the whole, you know, you'll be saved through childbirth. But nonetheless. So this is the greater context of the book of Timothy. Timothy is being told there are people in Ephesus that are instructing people into myths and other doctrines. And I need you to hang tight in Ephesus, Timothy, and get this under control because if not, it's going to be problematic. So that is the context, the greater context of 1 Timothy in Ephesus. Now, let's dig even deeper. What was going on in Ephesus that made Paul pop off like that? And here we go. So, in Ephesus, and we're going to do a little bit of, this is outside of the Bible, but it speaks to the social environment of Ephesus. So, this book is called, uh, it's a, it was a very popular, oops, sorry, it was a very popular book In Ephesus, in that same time, and and we know that Paul's letter was written around, you know, 50 AD-ish, somewhere thereabouts. Archaeological evidence has shown that this book is called Ephesiaca by an author called Xenophon was extremely popular in that time it it initially was taught that this was 200 bc 200 a.d sorry so long after paul but they've you know done some more research and it's now clearly dated to the exact same period of time when paul and timothy are dealing with what's going on in ephesus and in this book it's not a gospel book it's not scripture at all it's not even remotely scripture it was just popular reading. It was basically pop culture. It's very short. It involved teenagers. It involved, you know, a love story. There's even, um, and that's what I'm showing here. There's even uh, a cartoon, like a comic book version of it that's obviously modern for people that are learning Greek because it was so short and it's so easy to read, but it's a Greek book. And in this, when you study this, you can start getting a painting of what is going on in Ephesus. Let's dig deeper into that. The temple of Artemis is at Ephesus. And before I even climb any deeper down that rabbit hole, the temple of Artemis, and Artemis is a god, is a deity, a Greek deity, that's female, and the Romans called her what? Romans called her Diana. So same deity, she was a warrior known to be fighting, and you're going to see, and this is Wonder Woman, like straight up. Now, um, rewind. I am not saying that Wonder Woman is based on Artemis or equals Artemis. They're two separate things. Wonder Woman is complete fiction, just made up. It's not a myth. You know, a, a guy in recent, in the 20th century, you know, drew it up and say, hey, we can do a comic book hero out of this. But there, it's possible he was drawing on this Artemis myth that was very popular. She was a woman. She was a warrior. She learn a little bit more about her. But um, her name was Diana. For those who know anything about Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman's name is Diana. So that's where I'm tying the... Look, there's a a reference to Wonder Woman in the Bible. Let's go back. So um, we got this Temple of Artemis, Diana, Wonder Woman, at Ephesus. As a deity of fertility... This is just from the, the dictionary, uh, ancient.au. Um, Artemis Ephesia was particularly revered at Ephesus because many people thought that was her birthplace. Very important detail. Her cult included Eastern elements borrowed from goddesses such as Isis. Let's go another level deeper. The famous temple of Artemis at that city, in the city they're talking about is still Ephesus. The construction of it began 500 before Christ. So it was there when Paul was around. And it was almost twice the size of, Artem- of Athens Parthenon, which still exists today. It's where all those big columns are in Greece, uh, when it was actually finished after a century. So 400 BC, This thing was done, it was there, and it was regarded as one of, it was actually the second of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was so big and the columns were so heavy that the people in Ephesus said the goddess Artemis herself had to help build it. Like, it was a big deal. People traveled from all over the ancient world to come and worship Artemis at Ephesus. Artemis was the central theology and God that was worshiped in Ephesus. Let's go a little bit deeper. A marble representation of her. Oh, sorry. Finally, Artemis association with fertility was particularly prevalent at Ephesus. Are you starting to see the thread I'm tying now? Now, how did, how was she represented? And I need you to pay really keen attention. These are two representations from ancient history, available now. I think one of them is in the Louvre in France or whatever, of Artemis, Diana. Notice she's a warrior. She's got an arrow. She was a huntress. She was the god of war. She was god of. Uh, she was the daughter of Zeus, the, the sister of Apollo. She was. I mentioned. You saw already. She was in charge of fertility and taking care of people during childbirth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. She notice her hairstyle her hair was braided in plaits. Sound familiar? Remember that a little bit? Let's go a little bit further. Written in circa um, 300 BC. So again, this was well known in Paul's time. This is a discussion out of a book from Plato that I'm not gonna try to pronounce the name of Theatius or something like that, where they're discussing Artemis. The reason of this to be said that Artemis, the goddess of childbirth, is not a mother. She honors those who are like herself. And then I also want you to see the other place I have midwives um, highlighted. Uh, soccer, um, I dare say other rather rather certain that midwives know better than others who's pregnant and who's not. The other says, yep, very true. Socrates then says, and by the use of potions and incantations, they are able to arouse the pangs of childbirth and soothe them, and they will bear those who have difficulty in bearing childbirth. So what was happening in Ephesus, this culture of Isis, Egyptian god, and Artemis, greek version of the egyptian god was very prevalent and what this culture this theology taught the gentiles in ephesus was a you gotta dress yourself up to look like artemis when you dress yourself and carry yourself with your hair wrapped in these adornments like artemis you are worshiping artemis and that is how you ensure that Artemis will come and help you when it's time for childbirth. If you don't worship Artemis, you will lose your child. Like that is what was being practiced here. And I touched on already, and I'm going to highlight it again, the use of potions and incantations. And part of the context of Ephesus was these young women were taught these incantations things they would say so they were skilled in speaking authoritatively to make you know these chants and spells basically to help their women through childbirth sounding familiar again are you catching the thread let me give you one other little one right here and this is going to be the coup de grace in my opinion artemis was the greek goddess of hunting wild nature and chastity. She was the daughter of Zeus and Apollo. I mentioned that already. She was worshiped across. Oh, she was a patron of girls and young women and a protectress during childbirth. She was worshiped across the Greek world, but the most famous cult site was as a fertility goddess at the temple of Artemis at Ephesus. This is what Paul was targeting. This is like Paul was, he did it in Acts when he was in Athens and he, you know, went and caught beef with all of the people in Athens there. And we could talk about that another time. Um, But this is what Paul was known for. Paul was a real G. Paul would go into these Gentile cities and tell them, you ain't got to be scared of these other gods no more. Jesus died, went down to hell, took the keys from the evil powers and he resurrected and he's running things now. This is why Paul in Ephesians 6, when he's writing his manual of spiritual warfare, he doesn't say bind and loose and start pulling down strongholds by yelling at stuff. He says, it is done through the resurrection of Christ. Christ already won. That's why when he refers to these spiritual powers, he's calling them in geographic authorities. And Paul recognized that the geographic authority there in Ephesus was this Artemis. So he says, Timothy, hang back. Deal with Artemis. The the problem wasn't the women. The problem was the theology in Artemis. And I'm going to go to this last little bit here. From this book, in the jankiest slide I have ever made in the history of slides, I'm going to read two short passages. Um, this is a Christian author, Dr. Dr. Gary Hogue, and he studied this um, parallel of Xenophon of, of Ephesus in Ephesiaca and what it means for the first letter of Timothy. And this, these were two of his conclusions. When Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 10 are read along, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15, the heresy linked to artemis and isis as presented in the ephisiaca, the book that we talk about seems to come even more clearly in view and appears to illustrate that the, that is the backdrop for these instructions and then in the bottom highlight instead of interpreting these wise saying backward through the lens of conglomeration of traditions that they seem to echo we need to consider them in the light of the instructions inscriptions of an ephisiaca the book Consequently, these wise sayings, don't let a woman do this, make her be quiet, appear to attack the sacred values of the city loyal to Wonder Woman, to Princess Diana, to Artemis. That, my dear friends, is what Second Timothy was getting at. This is why it ends in that semi-bizarre little thing where... Um, Paul says, um, sorry, let's go skip right back here, where Paul says, but she will be saved through the bearing of children if she continues in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Let's read this again. With modesty and self-control, not with braided hair. Why is he picking on braided hair specifically in golden jewelry? Because this is what they did to appease Artemis. Why is he picking on the women must learn in quietness with all submission? Because he wanted them to stop speaking those incantations, which is the way they identified worship with those incantations. So they were coming to church and they were figuring, I got to do those incantations here too. I got to do those incantations at home and wherever I go to. Paul is saying, learn the gospel, remain in Good deeds which are fitting for women who profess godliness. Put down your incantations and focus on this. Why? Because verse 15, you will be saved in the bearing of children if you continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Paul was directly attacking the mentality, the, the, the false theology, the heresy, That was prevalent in Ephesus that said, if you don't want to lose your kids in childbirth, you better put these braids in your hair. You better um, do these incantations and know them well. And you better be loyal to Artemis. Otherwise, you're going to lose your children. And Paul was saying, eh, don't worry about it. My Yahweh is more powerful than any one of those other gods. And we started in Genesis. So we're going to drop back down to Genesis to close. Um, right here. Genesis, after the fall, God judges, and then he says to the snake, the, the, the evil spirit, um, I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and that offspring will strike you on the head. And to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pain in childbearing, and pain you will bear children, and to your husband shall be your desire. Genesis gives us the template. You're not going to die. God's punishment was not, oh, I'm going to kill you in childbearing. God's punishment was, as a matter of fact, salvation for the earth is going to come through your seed, which ended up being Abraham's line, which led to King David's line, which led to Jesus, our salvation, which Paul was in Ephesus preaching. So I say that to say, next time you feel like, you know, Being all adamant about, and like I said, I'm just giving you this to consider. It's not salvific, but think twice before you denigrate a woman simply because she's a woman. And remember Deborah, remember Gile. remember help is not just the person that's going to clean up after you. That's not the type of helper that God gave Adam. God gave Adam a helper who could help him strategically, tactically, in war, in anything that they were going to do, that was his help. That was his partner, his co-representative of Yahweh. Hope this has been helpful to you. Um, Enjoy Wonder Woman if you're into Wonder Woman. Um, I definitely will be. Um, This has been a fantastic Bible hack. I genuinely hope it was a blessing to you. See you guys in the comments. Um, My name is Greg. Um, It's been a pleasure.